I want you to turn to the person to your left or your right. If you're sitting by yourself, you may have to move to find somebody. And I want you to ask them this question. If Jesus was here in the flesh tonight, sitting right in front of you, His Spirit is here, but if He was here in the flesh right in front of you, what is one question that you would want to ask Jesus? Turn to your neighbor and ask him that question. You answer, and then you wait to hear their answer. Go for it. You've got 60 seconds to discuss among yourself. Ask mom, Toby. Ask her what she thinks. If you haven't switched yet, go ahead and switch. Find out what your neighbor would ask. Who wants to venture and just shout out a summary of the question that either you asked or you heard being asked? What are some of the things that you would want to ask Jesus if he was sitting right in front of you? Yeah. How did you create the earth? That's a good question. Somebody else, what would you ask Jesus? Tell Tell James and John not to argue. That's good. I like that, Joe. That's good. I've got some other people I want to tell that to. That's a good good thought. Anybody else want to venture? What's a question that you would ask Jesus if if he is face-to-face with you? No questions. Yeah. Good, good, good. I think it's interesting if if Jesus would turn the table on us. Right after we got to ask our question, what is it you think Jesus would ask you? I think one of the things that Jesus would want to ask us is why do we worry? I mean, I don't think he's perplexed on what worry is or how we get to the place where we worry. But really, why do we worry? How many of you already worried about something today, if you're honest? Maybe you worried about being late for church tonight because you got caught up at graduation hop. Maybe you were worried at church this morning that you would catch some kind of cold or illness from the people you shook hands with. Maybe you're worried tonight that the sermon is going to go too long. Well, I can put your mind at ease I promise you will not be late for work tomorrow. It won't go too long. But we worry about all kinds of things in our life. We worry about the economy and how it's going to affect our job or our retirement savings. We worry about our family. We worry about even worrying. It reminds me of the story of two businessmen that were talking about the economic downturn. And one man named Jack said, I'm about to lose my job and my house is in foreclosure. But I don't worry about it. Jack's friend Bob asked, how can you not be worried? Jack answered, I've hired a professional worrier. He does all of my worrying for me. That way I don't have to think about it. Bob replied, that's a fantastic idea. How much does it cost to hire a professional worrier? Jack replied, $50,000 a year. Where are you going to get that kind of money, he asked Jack. Jack replied, I don't know, that's his worry. 
everybody has faced some kind of worry. Or out of our irresponsibility, we have pushed our worry onto somebody else and we don't think too much about it because we're living in denial. But many, many of us have worried about something. Living in this upside down world creates a lot of anxiety for us. But there's only one person who can help us live right side up in an upside down world. And his name is Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 6, he shows how you and I can fight the temptation to worry. If you have your Bible, take, with, take it and turn with me to Matthew 6. We'll be at verse 25 through 34. I don't know any other place in the Bible where worry is described and dealt with more carefully, more clearly, more simply than this passage. Jesus gives several things for us to consider. Several keys to break free from the temptation to worry. And then he offers a couple principles to conquer worry in our life. Let's look at the first. If you have an outline and you like taking notes, let's look through that together. Whenever you and I are tempted to worry, we we must heed Jesus' command. Jesus gives us a command. It says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. There are times... When we worry, and we need to hear the command that Jesus gives in this verse, do not worry. It's a command. It's meaning that this is not up for grabs. It's not a suggestion. It's not just, hey, if you can fit this into your life. He's putting his finger on our chest saying, stop it. Don't worry. To become anxious is in direct disobedience to the command of God. And jot this blank down. Worry is is disobedient to God. Now, sometimes when we hear a, a thought or a teaching like that, it can kind of ruffle our feathers and say, well, wait a minute. I mean, disobedience is serious. Disobedience is sin. So are we saying that worry is sin? Before we can look at the truth that worry is disobedient and disobedient is sin, there's a difference between worrying and having concern. I'm concerned about the things that I can have some kind of control or impact over. But when I get to a place that it's out of my hands, I've done everything that I can do. I've done all the responsible actions that I can do. It now crosses over to a line of worry. And when I live in worry, this is not pleasing to God. And it's breaking His command that tells us, do not worry. The fact that it's repeated reinforces the importance of this command. The most frequent command in all of the Bible is, do not fear. And this command, do not worry, is its first cousin. See, fear and worry, they go hand in hand. They are Satan's twin weapons to try to paralyze God's people, neutralizing our effectiveness and robbing us of our joy. Satan knows that he most likely cannot get you to abandon your faith in God. So his next best strategy is to try to fill your mind with worry and fear instead of the faith and confidence that you should have in your Heavenly Father. That's why Jesus commands us, do not worry. It's not a suggestion. He's not saying, try to fit this in and try to make this a part of your attitude. He looks us square in the eyes and he says, my child, do not worry. Well, what do we worry about? And the next phrase, Jesus tells us, don't worry about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Yet if you turn on any television station, 
read any magazine, look at any billboard, the advertisers make their money by constantly reinforcing the worries that plague our mind. What am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat it? Where am I going to take that food in? What will I wash it down with? We begin to worry about all kinds of things. Am I too thin? Am I too fat? Am I too ugly? Am I pretty? Can I stay pretty enough? This is the world system, and it's all upside down. And surely, as God's people, we don't fall into that system, do we? Far too often, we not only live in the world, we become of the world, and we take on this attitude and this mindset of worry. Look at verse 34 with me. Jesus commands, do not worry about tomorrow. The world daily tries to fill us with fear about what God will or will not do. The world tries to fill us with fear about what will happen tomorrow and begin to be preoccupied about everything from the weather to wars that are taking place. What will happen if this takes place? What will happen if that takes place? There is everything right about being a good steward and following through on your responsibility, but yet there's everything wrong about needless preoccupation with things that you have no responsibility or control over. That's important for some of us to get victory over worry, to understand that, to say, well, I'm not going to worry, I should just be happy, is not a license to be irresponsible. It's not a license to say, I won't do my part. It's, it's when I cross over the line of being concerned about the things that I can do and I can control, and I begin to fret and be anxious about what I cannot control. We need to take our cues more from God's news than what we find on the early morning news. Some of us appear to know the TV channels better than we know the scriptures that God gives us about finding hope in His world. Worrying about tomorrow strips our life of hope. This upside-down world system is designed to destroy and strip you of hope. If you and I spent as much time praying as we do worrying about the things we face, we'd have a lot less to worry about. Jesus continues and gives us the command, do not worry. Whenever you and I are tempted to worry, you and I must focus on Jesus' perspective. Let's look at the text. I see five rhetorical questions that Jesus poses for our consideration that's important for us tonight. One of the characteristics of a great teacher is the quality of questions that they ask. And these are great questions that Jesus asks because they are direct, they are simple, and they have obvious answers. They don't require lengthy commentary to understand them. I'm just going to read them and let's let them speak for themselves and remind us of Jesus' wisdom in these words. First, in verse 25, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? What a good question. It puts life in perspective for us. Just ask the people who are at the nearest hospital in the ICU unit. Isn't life more than what you eat and what you wear? Just ask the soldier who's on the front line in the battlefield. Isn't life more than what you eat and what you wear? Ask the person who has just lost a loved one. Isn't life more than what you eat and what you wear? It's a simple, obvious, direct question that can speak to us about how worthless worry can be. 
Next, Jesus offers a simple and yet profound illustration. Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Then the question comes, aren't you worth much more than birds? You may have had people in your life tell you that you're for the birds. That you may not be worth more than a handful of birds. Or they may choose to label what kind of bird you are. Instead of an eagle, they may call you a turkey. But your Heavenly Father does not equate your value even close to His precious creation of the animals. Jesus says, doesn't He love you more than the birds? The answer is obvious, but worry clouds our perspective. It begins to close in on our limited view and causes us to fret and turn inward on ourselves. A third question is asked in verse 27, which of you by worrying can increase your lifespan? Another translation says, by worrying, can you add one day to your life? What do you get for worrying? You don't get much for your worry. Not only will worry not add one minute to your life, but evidence is strong that it will take away moments from your life. Years ago, the U.S. Public Health Service issued a statement identifying that there's a clear correlation in their eyes between people who worry and the presence of nervous diseases, a weakening of the immune system and a shortening of the quality of life. One has commented on Jesus' probing illustration here in this passage. They've written, So far as it is known, no bird has ever tried to build more nests than the neighboring bird. No fox has ever fretted because he only had one hole in which to hide. No squirrel ever died of anxiety, lest he should not lay away for two winters instead of just one. No dog ever lost sleep over the fact that he had not enough bones laid aside for his declining years. But all of that is true of us. The animals have no choice but to trust their Creator, but we think we've got it figured out. We think that we can do God a favor and we can help Him out by worrying and fretting over things beyond our control. Jesus is saying, stay humble. Humble yourself before me. Realize how dependent you are on me. When it comes to clothing, consider the lilies of the field. Do I not clothe them? Will I not provide for you? He follows with the next question. Why are you anxious about clothes if the Heavenly Father clothes them? Won't God do much more for you than He does for the grass? In other words, worry is a waste of energy. I believe if Jesus was sitting face to face with you in the flesh tonight, and you got to ask your question, Why did you make mosquitoes, God? What good are mosquitoes? Now don't come up and tell me some scientific answer after. I'm sure there's a good reason. I'm still perplexed. I don't like them. I stuck my key in the hole of the door to come into the church this early this morning. There was a mosquito in that keyhole. Aggravated me. What good are mosquitoes? They just bite you and make you itch and cause disease and all this stuff. If you love mosquitoes, then bless you. You're weird. There's things that get in our craw and we don't understand it. We want to ask God, and, and why did you do this? And, and just like our brother said, we can hang on to those questions. My hunch is when we get to heaven, or if we saw Jesus face to face, those questions would pale in comparison to the glory that would be around him. But for, 
if there was some way or some reason that we could get to our question in the midst of all of his glory around us, I believe Jesus would want to look us in the face and say, what are you doing, my child, worrying so much, fretting, wringing your hands about what's to come? Do you not see who I am? Do you not see whose you are? Worry is a waste of energy. Then in the next phrase, Jesus puts his finger on the root of the problem that worry brings in our life. When you you and I are tempted to worry, we must consider Jesus' rebuke. Look at the last phrase of verse 30. You have little faith. You have little faith. Jesus knew that the root of worry is a lack of faith in him. Underlying our anxious thoughts is a lack of trust that God knows the score and he's able to handle the situation. Most of us here would say that we have faith in God, but Jesus challenges us to put that faith to a test. And the litmus test of faith is a conspicuous absence of fear and worry. The bigger your God is, the fewer your worries Another way to look at that is worry exposes my lack of faith. And so when I'm worrying, it's just pulling back the curtain, showing all around me how little faith I have in the God who has created me. The God who says, I will feed you, I will clothe you, I will provide for you, I will go ahead of you. And when I worry, I'm saying, I don't believe you will make good on your promise. Let me ask you, Christian friend. Do you have a reputation for being a person of faith or a person of fear? Ask the people that are closest to you. Scripture says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to live a life free from the bondage of worry. Finally, whenever you are tempted to worry, you and I must admit Jesus' conclusions are not only very real, but they are powerfully true in our life. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Whenever you or I consume, we are consumed by the cares of this life. We are acting no different than people who don't believe in Jesus. Worry, it's an insult to God. Those who worry model a lifestyle of the pagans, and this worry being an insult to God is very real in our life when We begin to follow the pattern of the world. To them, to the pagans, to those who are insulting God with their worry, the things that are most important are satisfying their bodily desires by meeting their felt needs, by protecting their rightfully viewed image in the eyes of others. How can we expect to have anything different in our life if we hold on to the same worry that the pagans hold on to? We know better. And when we allow the world to squeeze us into their system, we lose our joy and we lose the effectiveness of our witness. Finally, those who worry presume that God forgets what he's promised. Look back at verse 32 and your heavenly father knows that you need them. God hasn't forgotten you. He knows right where you're at. He knows right what you need. Think about how we pray. Sometimes when we pray, it's as if we think God has gotten forgetful or he's asleep on the job. And we begin to pray and we inform God. 
Have you ever informed God in your prayer? Have you ever tried to give God advice in your prayer? It seems kind of silly when we chart it out, but we do it all the time. God never walks to the edge of heaven and looks down at your situation and calls Gabriel over and says, Oh my goodness, Gabriel, what are we going to do? I, I have no idea what to do with their situation. God is in control. God knows what's happening, and we don't have to inform Him. So when we read the Psalms, we can find that there's comfort in our heart reflecting to God and acknowledging that He knows what's happening. Reminding ourselves that He's aware. But you're not informing God of anything. You're not helping to give God advice on what to do in any area that He's perplexed. Remember who He is and who you are. We don't inform God. We shouldn't presume to advise Him. The best thing we can do is to come before Him humbly and in faith, submit ourselves to Him and His perfect plan. In verse 33 and 34, Jesus summarizes His teaching on worry by giving us some key principles. When you and I are tempted to worry, we must apply Jesus' principle that He teaches here in our life. It starts like this, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Plain and simple, it means to live with priority. If you want to ward off worry, if you want to break the cycle of worry in your life, you need to take this principle and live it. Live with priority. What do you mean? The scripture says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I challenge you to take that command seriously. Let this verse be the filter for every decision you make, for every purchase that you make, for every appointment that you set, for every relationship you enter into. May the first question you ask be, Lord, how can this advance your kingdom? Help me make a decision that will bring you the greatest glory. God, should I go there, will it bring you glory? Should I buy that? Will it advance your kingdom? Should I enter into that relationship? Will it lift you up, Jesus? If we are asking to seek first His kingdom, God, help me to seek first your kingdom. It takes care of the worry part because God will lead you and give you instruction. The challenge comes when we try to to have Him help us with worry, but we don't really want to seek His kingdom. We want our kingdom first. And then we have every reason to worry and fret. The reason we can be free from worry is because He is all-powerful. And when we are working with Him, He will protect and guide us through every situation. And yet, when we begin to take things in our own stride, in our own strength, we lose the benefit of what He wants to bring in our life. Also, we begin to see that in verse 34, there's another part of the principle, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. We are to live with priority and we are to live in the present. Worry keeps us from living in the here and now. We miss the opportunities and the blessings for today whenever we live in the regret of yesterday or we worry about tomorrow's problem. One of the best tools that God has given to us to ward off worry is to replace your worry with prayer. Look at the verse there in your outline. As I read it, I want you to read in your mind along with me. It's a paraphrase of Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. 
Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displays his worry at the center of your life. Let me make this practical for us tonight. Whenever you and I are tempted to fall into worry, into the downward spiral of worry, it's in that moment we need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us these signs so we can begin to pray more so we can worry less. You've heard the instruction, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. The peace of God will then guard your heart and your mind. Think of the impact your life could have if you would take all the moments, all the energy, all the time that you invest in worry, and if you could invest it into prayer and allow God to stretch your faith. When you make the decision to seek first His kingdom, to trust His power, to obey His command, you're well on your way to warding off worry and winning the battle. I'm confident that we need this message tonight. There may be some here that this is truth that's brand new. The flashlight of God's truth has been turned on in this area, maybe for the first time, and you're walking in that light. But I think for an overwhelming majority in this room, you could have quoted back Jesus' command, don't worry. You could have walked through this paraphrase of how God has taken care of all these other things and how much more He loves us. We shouldn't But the question for us tonight is not, did I get something new? The question is, did I get it and did God really get me? If you're here tonight and you feel God stirring something in your heart about worry, I don't feel led to have you come to the altar this evening. If you want to, you're always welcome to. I'm not even going to ask you to stand up where you're at, but I want you at your seat to acknowledge that Jesus is looking you in the eyes and wants to ask you a question. I believe he's bold enough to take his finger and to put it on your chest and say, why are you worrying? I know you know this, Jesus would say. But do you know how much I love you and how much I have the circumstances under control? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are big enough for every situation we face. Lord, we trust you with our sin because we're keenly aware that there's nothing we can do to bridge the gap of the separation that our sin has caused. But Lord, would you free us from the illusion that there is something that we can do in this world that is greater than coming to you and trustful prayer God we thank you for teaching us about how to be responsible in areas that we're concerned God when it crosses the line to anxiety and threat and worry when it's no longer about me responding in obedience it's about me fretting that someone else or something else is not going to happen the way that I want God would you show me how destructive that is not only in my life spiritually, but what it does to my body, what it does to my insides. Thank you, God, for the joy and the hope that you want to restore to your people today. 
So, Lord, I lift up my brother and sister who are in this room. I don't know who they are, but you know exactly who they are. If that's you, I encourage you right now in your mind, just lift up your prayer thought to the Lord. Saying, Jesus, I choose to trust. I choose to take my concern to you to pray instead of to enter the cycle of fretful worry. Thank you, God, for making good on your word, not only for the original hearers, but making good on your word here in this room again tonight. Before we see your provision, before we see your answer, we respond in thanksgiving and gratitude. It's in your name I pray. Amen.